You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado, we've got our September monthly market update. I've got the roundtable here. We're going to go through stats, some updates on deals we're seeing. We're going to go around and ask everyone where the opportunity is and just some uh, what's going on in some local municipalities around town as well. So in no particular order, my guests are Jenny Bayless with Envision Advisors down in Colorado Springs. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Going great. Got Press Newberry, also with Envision Advisors, representing Denver. Thank you, Chris. Got Joe Massey with Castle and Cook Mortgage, representing conventional lending and also talking uh, all sorts of stuff of Colorado. Top of the morning to you. Thanks for having me, as always. Glad to have you here. Last but not least is Travis Spear with Renovo Financial. Travis, glad to have you again. Hey, good morning, Chris. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So we'll jump into stats, some high-level stuff and go into other things. Preston, what is going on in Denver? I mean, things are pretty similar to where they were last month, Chris. Uh, inventory's up about 11% from where we were last month, which equates to about 7,700 active listings, which is still about half of what we would like to see in a, in a balanced market. So even though you see these big giant percentages on the headlines about you know inventory up and all this stuff going on, there's still not as much inventory as we'd like to see. Good news is buyers have a little bit more opportunity now. There's uh, you know some more more inventory to choose from, a little bit more time, but at the end of the day, still you know still not quite to a balanced market by any means. Um, closed units are down about 28%. So we are seeing a little bit less activity out there. Again, more opportunity for buyers. Is that month over month or, or year? Uh, from last year. Okay. From yeah, last year. Yeah. Year over year. Um, and you know, sales prices are still up 8% year, year over year, which is almost 2% from last month. So, yeah. um, you know, the market is still moving along. Deals are getting closed. We just have a little bit more, a uh, little bit more time and a little bit more inventory to choose from. Cause I think, uh, because I did not look at all the previous months, but the last few months, it was native month over month, right? Yeah. And this is the yeah. time where it yep. flipped to like positive month over month, right? Which is interesting because, you know, we talked last month about the seasonality and kind of seeing some of that come back into the market. But then you look at the stats from September and it's like, oh, things are things are still moving along and, you know, the market's still doing its thing. So yeah. I'm like getting used to seasonality again. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Joe, Travis, any of these stats jump out to you in Denver that uh, you guys are particularly tracking or that tell a story? Uh, I want to just comment on the number of closed transactions. Um, so I believe it, looking at it, the slide here, and I don't think this is shared, but 4,100 closed transactions uh, in the month of September. Now, last year there was 5,600 closed transactions. So, you know, 1,500 less closings than there were last year. But if you look at the Denver metro area, you know, there's obviously a little bit of a roller coaster due to seasonality, mm -hmm. but we always, on average, close between 4,000 and 6,000 transactions every single month. And so to be at 4,100, we're right where we should be for the seasonality, this time of the year. And I just try to remind people, there's going to be about 5,000 closings every single every month. month. The important thing is how many of those transactions are going to be yours, Mr. Buyer, or how many of those transactions are going to be yours, Mr. Investor, or how many of those transactions are going to be yours, Mrs. Real Estate Agent. You don't have to have all 4,000, 5,000 transactions. You need one if you're a buyer, or you need five or three if you're a real estate agent. And so I focus on there's still a ton of opportunity. I mean, at the end of the day, the market is going to be the market, right? And things are going to happen. Sales are going to happen. Closings are going to happen. So where's your opportunity and how are you going to, how are you going to get in the game? Yeah, that's right. 
Travis, any stats about you? Yeah, so on the on the short bit, uh, and we chatted about this a little bit, was uh, prices were up. Average prices were up 2% month over month, but median prices are up 1%. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden we're going to go back on a run here of, of prices continuing to run up uh, like they have previously, but with a little bit more inventory, prices, if they're plateauing, coming down a little or even coming up a little bit, it still feels like a good time to be in this business, especially if you're gonna be using the house for utility. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, maybe as a family or as a purchase, but from an investment side, someone else is gonna be using it as a utility. And we'll talk a little bit more about the opportunities that are available now. Great. All right, Jenny, let's pivot down south. You got some stuff in Springs and Pueblo to update us on. Yeah, so interestingly, um, the Springs did see a month over month drop um, in median home price by about 4%. Um, so, you know, still up four and a half percent year over year, if we're going to look at it that way for, from a seasonality perspective. Um, but yeah, it did drop from August to September of this year. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, the so, new listings. Sorry, I'm going to oh, interrupt sorry, go. you on there. I'm, 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 I'm going yeah. back to like seasonality stuff going from August <laughs> to September, which is what we're talking about here. Do we normally see the prices increase month over month or decrease pre COVID? Anyone around the top of their heads? I'd say about flat, I think. You okay. know, but generally in my experience, if your prices are going to go up 10% over the course of a year, you get like 8% of that from January until June. June. Yeah. And then things are kind of flat, maybe plus half a percent for the second half of the year. Um, so to see a little bit of an increase over the last 30 days, I think is positive. Okay. So up 2% or up 1% median in Denver, you said down 4%. Month over month, median in springs. Okay, cool. Sorry, you were about to talk about listings. I cut you off there. Yeah, no worries. Um, So that's definitely something, you know, I'm keeping an eye out for um, is, you know, the median sales price dropping. Um, In terms of listings, it went down month over month um, by, um, I don't know, 300 units. Um, And then same with sales, it went down by less than a hundred. Um, so nothing significant. It's just kind of like the, our base numbers are so small that any slight change is looking from a percentage wise, much more dramatic than, you know, it's just on a different magnitude. I, I would consider it. Um, in terms of total, I think that just goes into seasonality, right? I mean, that to me seems like it would be fairly normal to see, you know, a little bit of a a decrease in listings, obviously, you know, prices may be flat or decreasing a little bit. Obviously we're still recovering from kind of what's happened over the last couple of years, but nothing there really scares me. I agree. Seasonality. People are like, oh, it's so slow in October. And what I used to always say was, yeah, remember last October? Now that sentence isn't true right now, but because 2020 and 2021 were so good, but do you remember the last 40 Octobers, except for the most recent two? <laughs> so I think you're spot on, Jenny. I think the seasonality is pretty normal. Yeah. And I guess probably, um, you know, from a, an interesting news piece is that our month supply finally crested too. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that since I started working with Envision. Really? I'm not too sure. Inventory? Wow. I, I don't think so. Yeah. So that was kind of kind of interesting to me. Um, yeah. And then moving down to Pueblo, um, I don't have the stats for September for Pueblo. Um, but, you know, we were talking before the show that uh, Leah and myself just recorded a podcast where she had a buyer from Denver, put down 25% down on a duplex in Pueblo. 
7.25% interest rate. Um, and it's cash flowing about $300 a month expected. Um, they are self-managing. That was their choice to, you know, keep a few extra dollars in their pocket. But when we played around um, and, and assumed if they did put management in place, they were break even. So I thought that was a really interesting um, observation that just that, you know, Pueblo is still withstanding, um, you know, the higher interest rates, um, and still making it viable to be a rental property down, down there. So I thought that was kind of cool. And just out of curiosity, what was the price point on that? It was just shy of 300,000. Okay. And do you remember what the two unit, you said it's a two unit or four unit? I missed that part. It's a two unit. Do you remember how much the rent Mm -hmm. is per side? Yeah. So there, um, the, the clients are, Shooting for twelve fifty, but Leah is underwriting at twelve hundred. So we use twelve hundred in our example. So twenty four hundred bucks on a two ninety purchase price. That's what a one thirty GRM, approximately. About I, I don't yeah. do math. My head on podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I learned not to do that. <laughs> that's Joe Brickstow's calculator. Hey, one twenty. I was off by ten, but yeah. that's a that's a really good deal. Yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and that's. Where'd you find this? This I'm assuming Jenny, you and Leah went out and knocked on a bunch of doors and had to network with probably sent people, out some mailers. Sent out some mailers, is yeah. that right? <laughs> uh, pretty much. Um, yeah, it was on the MLS. Oh, okay. um, and yeah, Leah and the clients, they just, you know, went down, saw it, and asked the listing agent, hey, what do we need to to win it? There was another offer on the table. He told them where it was at. They came in and beat it. And I think the most interesting piece of this is that they were able to actually do an inspection objection and they got every single thing that they objected to, whether it be via price reduction, seller credit, or the seller actually performed the work themselves. So it sounds to me like you had a seller that was aware of the market and they were aware (laughs) that they don't just get to make all the rules now. So it's back to like actually doing real estate things again. (laughs) Sounds fortunately pretty normal. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So one more thing I want to clarify on that, because you talked some cash flow that $300 a month, self-managing and probably break even or slightly positive with property management. But you're actually talking about full underwriting with all the other expenses as well for CapEx reserves, not just mortgage payments, right? That is correct. Yes. yes. So it's a real cash flow positive property with real underwriting attached. We've had some... People like uh, not understand that in the past. Yep. So I think that's a phenomenal stat. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And also just kind of goes into one of the themes of like, where's the opportunity? Um, and obviously like talking about cash flow properties in Pueblo is one deal. What we're just talking about now where, you know, sellers are coming to the negotiating table and buyers have a lot more negotiating power as well. We'll continue on that theme. Travis, I know you had something for this segment, so you can have the conscience kick it off. Yeah. So we were just kind of talking about before we got started about where the opportunities are right now. And, and Joe kind of has a list that uh, we can go through. But uh, what was interesting to me is I had a client who was under contract on a property in uh, Westminster and they were going to do basically a fix and hold or a burr. And uh, they had the property was listed at 415. They were under contract uh, about a month ago at like 385 and did the inspection had their contractor go through it. And it's just like, gosh, this is just a little bit too much work at the cost today to make this deal work. So he walked away from it. 
the listing agent uh, went to the backup offer who was home first time home buyer. They went through the property with their inspection. They asked for everything that they needed fixed. And um, it sounded like they were going to back out too, because the seller just wasn't going to deal with, with fixing anything. The client had, uh, my client had kept an eye on it, just to see what was going on with the property. And then uh, the, he saw it come back on the market. So he called the agent and said, look, we were under contract before the numbers didn't work for me. Um, but I can come in at, at three fifty. And so what was listed for 415, he was under contract at 385, it went under contract again and fell out. And now he's under contract to close at 350. Uh, and now he can accommodate the rehab budget that he needed to, to get, get to where he needed to be. And what it kind of just showed was uh, now, again, I'm not saying he's buying a 415 house for 350. This is a conversation we have in our house frequently when, when people go shopping and come home and talk about what, what deals they got. In my opinion, he bought a 350 house probably for 350, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe a something that was worth in that range and he's going to do the repair and the end value is going to be 500. So the story is not necessarily that he stole the deal, but it was an opportunity to negotiate, right? And even myself in the spring, I was looking to buy a couple more rental properties and I just couldn't get in the car and go out and make an offer fast enough. And at some point it just wasn't worth my time to, to do that. So as we said last month, and as we approach uh, Halloween now, we said there's going to be some opportunities between Halloween and and the end of the year. And you, if you listen to any lawn stuff, he talks about, you know, this is when real estate agents buy their homes, right? Like this is where the opportunities are going to be in this kind of lull. And uh, so it just was uh, really cool to see somebody was able to get to the price that they needed. So the numbers worked and the seller, after seeing multiple people come through, it's just like, hey, I'm not going to make those repairs, uh, was able to come, come down to the terms and get a deal closed. Yeah. Again, very rational seller that said, okay, my 415 is kind of pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that would have been reasonable in February. Right. It's not February anymore. Right. But they also had to go through a couple of different situations to realize that, right? Yep, Which is again, something we're also seeing in the market is that, you know, sometimes it takes an offer or two or a couple of deals to fall apart before a seller realizes that, Hey, like the market's changed and this is where we're at now. And if I want to move this place, this is what I got to do. Mm -hmm. So he'll be able to make the repairs and then go for the refinance, uh, you know, complete a burr, if you will, probably pull some money out and do it again. He was selling a property somewhere else and doing an exchange. So a good opportunity for him to get back into the Denver market, buy this property, do the work, refinance, and go do it again. Mm -hmm. So speaking of primaries, I'm going to take a little segment on here. Preston, you just closed on your second Nomad I did, last yeah. week. Yep. Travis closed on the new primary. Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about your nomad, Preston. Yeah. So this is actually a, a new build, um, which is kind of what I've decided I like to go for, for my nomad properties, because it allows me to one, buy a brand new house. Um, don't have to deal with rehab or anything that's going to take up my time to deal with it. it. comes with a warranty and I get to watch the process of them building the house and kind of, you know, for me, learn a lot through that process, but also know what I'm getting into. Um, so I've been under contract since, uh, I think, November or October of, uh, of 2021 a year ago, a year ago, basically. Yeah. So, um, obviously as we know, things took a little bit longer than anticipated with everything going on in the world, but I uh, was finally able to close last week. And so I'm excited about that and get to turn my, uh, previous property, um, into a rental. And then, uh, you know, hopefully stay in this one for, you know, probably two years is kind of the plan, I think, mm -hmm. and have another rental on the books. So let's talk about the opportunity on there. Cause I mean, a year ago, very different world, mm -hmm. very different interest rates. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, your property is it's getting closer to closing and where are the opportunities now in some like the new build stuff for people that are kind of situation like yours? Hey, they're under contract in a different market. Yep. And now we're, you know, we've shifted into this new market. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a lot more flexibility with builders right now. I mean, they've had, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people back out of deals or not be able to close 
because any of, idea of like any type of percents of people have backed I, out? I don't have any okay. real numbers on that. I just know from real life boots on the ground, seeing stuff in the MLS and also talking with builder reps and, and knowing what's going on. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that um, as we get closer to the end of the year, because there's a lot of stuff that is getting close to completion, you know, that obviously was supposed to have been done four or five, six months ago. And, you know, clients either backed out because of one interest rates, lifestyle changes, whatever the case may be. And so builders have some added inventory and they're going to want to get that off the books by the end of the year. So we're seeing builders offer a lot of concessions, um, whether that's including things in the, in the price of the house or offering, you know, rebates back to buyers, uh, for closing costs, um, price reductions. I'm even starting to see some of those with some of the new builds. Obviously they don't really want to do that. If they don't have to, they'd rather give you a concession. Sure. Um, but you know, I think there's definitely going to be a lot more opportunity with the new build stuff, even more so than we're seeing now as we get closer to the end of the year. Yeah. And so let, let that sink in because, you know, it's always good to understand like what the seller's motivation is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, builders are not your traditional like motivated seller where they need to like avoid bankruptcy, in, you know, three weeks or something like that. But understanding their situation is they've got all this, you know, pipeline inventory coming out. They've got layered construction loans. They have to sell off, you know, so many lots or so many properties to hit this next tranche of payouts or whatever. Yep. And usually I think it's quarter end and year end and year like end, yep. major milestones. So they're coming up on year end. So a lot of their loans will be, they'll be hitting their metrics. You got sales teams one hand hit their whatever metrics they can. And you got a lot of people pulling out. There is some, I think, really good opportunity between now and the end of the year to close on some of those properties or get Absolutely. some new deals. And even layered on there, I was talking with a, a client. Actually, I've been talking to a few about a few, a few people about this topic because I'm with my CPA last week and started playing for taxes next year. We started talking about depreciation and you know playing that game. Um, got some people that are going to look for a property or a new build, close on for the end of the year, then go do a cost seg, get you know thirty thousand dollars back on their taxes doing that, mm -hmm. and find have a great new property. The easy button, as you were talking yep. about it, <laughs> maybe get a better deal on it than we've seen for a while, and then be able to actually get a big cash flow back. You know, come four months from now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's part of your ROIQ. That's not necessarily reflected on the spreadsheet, right? Because it's customized to your individual needs. But if you're able to get $30,000 depreciation benefit on day one, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Well, and that was the other thing for me too, is like, obviously I'm buying my new place as a primary, but interest rates have gone up, you know, 2% since I first underwrote this a year ago, right? I mean, whenever I was going under contract, I was underwriting around three, three and a half percent. And, you know, whenever we closed, I ended up being at four point or 5.875. Uh, but thanks to Joe and spending some time with me and kind of looking at all the options, we ended up doing the two, one buy down program and we'll see where the world's at in two years and, and go from there. But at the end of the day, I knew I was going to be better off owning a property rather than sitting on the sidelines. And uh, another thing I want to point out, just as a good reminder for people, uh, I mean, you got a HELOC on your primary earlier this year. I did. So, I mean, great ways to, hey, get more cash out as you're moving on nomads. Yep. Yeah. And that will allow me to be in a good position as we have see more opportunity, whether it's, you know, at the end of this year, beginning of next year, who knows what that's going to be. But at least I've got, you know, that buffer sitting on the sidelines and I can use that whenever there's the right opportunity. And you could also cost save your place moving out of too. Oh, I think. Okay. We'll yeah. have to look into that. I also show you some numbers I did on okay. some of my stuff. Like they're... They're pretty, pretty gnarly. Awesome. All right. So going back to where's the opportunity, I know we took a sidetrack on there. Joe, you were rattling off some things about where the opportunity is. Uh, repeat that, please, while we're on mic. Oh, I have a whole list. This will take at least 30, 40 minutes. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> what are the benefits of buying a home in the current market? All right. Number one, seller paid closing costs. You have to negotiate for it, but sellers are open to that. Number two, seller paid rate buy down. <laughs> Um, also a seller paid two one buy down. 
All right. So there's lots of opportunities there. You can get seller paid repairs. If the roof needs to be fixed, you can say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, we need you to spend $10,000 to fix the roof before we're going to close. Um, you can get seller paid improvements, right? There's a problem with the carpet in the basement. Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, we need that carpet replaced. We'd like that done before closing. Um, I think Jenny really touched on this, that in her most recent transaction or Leah's most recent transaction, the seller was very amenable to doing these things because sellers are coming back to reality. You can negotiate on price. Travis, on yours, you negotiated uh, pretty heavily on price yeah. on your new primary residence, yep. right? Um, you can pay less than asking price, which is what we talked about on that opportunity with the client. He mm -hmm. paid less than what the property was listed for. You don't have to waive your inspection, right? You can do an inspection. You don't have to waive your appraisal. You don't have to have an appraisal gap. Um, you have time to negotiate on the inspection. This next one's a big one. You have time to think about it, right? You can go out on a Saturday, look at five properties, on Sunday, go back and look at your two favorite. On Sunday evening, you and your spouse talk about it, decide to make an offer on Monday on your favorite one, potentially get it under contract with some negotiation on Tuesday. You don't have 15-minute showing windows and you have to make a decision while there's a line outside to look at the property after you. You can get properties under contract with a contingent sale. Yep. I'm seeing a lot of these right now. And along with that, you can get a longer contract to close. Maybe you need 45 or 60 days to sell the property you're moving out of the seller's oftentimes really agreeable to do that right now. So that's a <clears throat> list of the benefits of the current market. Anybody want to hear the downside of the current market? Let's hear it. Interest rates are higher. That's pretty much it. That's about it. Right? Rates have gone up, which takes a lot of people, puts them on the sidelines, and opens up opportunities for all of these items for the folks that are still serious and the folks that are still in the market, which I think, in my personal opinion, I think there's way too many people sitting on the sidelines when there's a lot of benefits to buying properties right now. I, I totally agree. And uh, a couple of things to add on there is there's really no perfect time to, you know, buy a property, buy our next investment <laughs> property. Not, you're never going to have every single star aligned for you. Never. Um, you know, last couple of years, say hey, great low rates. Everyone's complaining about the overbidding and, you know, we're all bumping into each other, going the same property at the same time. Um, well, now we don't have that, but rates are higher. So like, One's not right or wrong, but it is what it is, but also goes to the mindset of, hey, nothing's ever perfect. Mm. Look at your situation, your goals, yep. and look for the best opportunity in the current marketplace, depending on whatever your situation, your finances, and your goals align with. I mean, so I think it's never time the market, there. right? We all know trying to time the market never works. We don't have the crystal ball. So when you're ready and you have the opportunity, take action. Yeah. And uh, on this note, um, so... Uh, a couple of years ago, when Jenny joined us on the Envision Advisors and we were launching into the Colorado Springs market, uh, for the first couple months down there to drive some attention, Jenny launched a Colorado Springs uh, deal alert email. And I think we had like 150, 200 people opt into there. And two or three times a week, you were sending out emails, Jenny, with just you know various deals that you saw in Colorado Springs. And after a couple of months, we kind of stopped doing that because you got too busy doing deals and you know growing the team. So it was great. Um, but now since the market has shifted and, you know, there is time and there's different types of opportunities, we've just actually revived that deals list. Um, and we've pivoted from just being Colorado Springs to just, you know, everything we do for we house hacking, rental, short-term rentals, um, Pueblo Springs, Denver. So we've, I think we did one email and we're actually start officially launching about now. Um, so if you want that the link might be in the show notes at this point. Uh, there's a chance it may not be. If it's not, email me, email Jenny, or talk to your agents. We'll get you plugged into there. But we'll be sitting on email as of right now every Friday, Jenny. 
with Correct. yes a couple you know couple deals that we're just seeing out there in the marketplace right yep and we're underwriting them conservatively um you know for pure investment properties we are keeping um maintenance for keeping vacancy you know we're not trying to pad anything is kind of what i'm getting at for that um and we're we're trying to keep up to date with um anticipated interest rates and all that to give everyone a good um, picture of what's going on. We like to keep things realistic. I, I have a yeah. question. Um, are these deals that you guys have closed? Like, hey, here's example transactions that we've closed. Or these are deals like, hey, we yeah, found these, are these active on the deals. MLS and yeah, yeah. I get this. And I say, call up and say, hey, Jenny, I want to buy. I saw your email. I want to buy one, two, three Main Street. So these are, are they're yeah, these are, these active are active deals. Active, like, yeah. The, I mean, deals that, that we could go and purchase. We let our clients know okay. that we're, we're, you know, we're not giving out all like the address specifics, but Hey, here's this house hack or here's this rental or here's your short term uh, property. So they were active deals. I love it. Some are MLS, some are network. We're getting a lot more people now saying, Hey, if you got some at this price, you know, let me know. I'll take it. So we're getting a lot more of those as well. Cool. Um, so yeah, definitely. If you guys want that, uh, check out the link or, or email me and Jenny will plug you in there. So. Anything else on where's the opportunity? Are we good? All right. I think there's a ton. Yeah. I, mean, I could go on for that for hours. But yeah, I mean, I, maybe on. just the, the thing that to hammer home, even if you're on the selling side as an investor or if you're buying, was the uh, time to make a decision. Because that, that was what drove everything for us to make the decision was in the spring, we looked at a few houses and I just wasn't going to do the frenzy and the over. And you know, it's a big, big investment that you're making to buy a house. And so like to make that decision in 15 minutes, um, just didn't make, would it make sense for the way that I operate? So uh, I think that drives a lot from both sides of it. I think it's better for buyers and sellers, frankly. Uh, but uh, just keep in mind that, you know, things might not go right away, but, you know, you get somebody in there two or three times. And and if you can put a deal together, you probably should. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, yeah. uh, obviously lots of great stuff in here. Uh, biggest thing is say that mindset tip and realize between now and the end of the year is probably going to be one of the best buying times we've seen for quite a few years here in Denver. I agree. So if you have any questions or anything, reach out to any of us. I mean, we'll give you details, help give you knowledge, hope help find you a deal or give you some financing. What I want to move on to now is just kind of some trends we are seeing in local municipalities. And I want to start off by talking about the Denver rental application, because by the end of this year, multifamilies in Denver need to uh, have to be inspected. And by the following year, single family homes and other rental properties need to be inspected as well. So last week I did a really great webinar with Eric Ross, property manager at EcoSpace, and Brittany Vernon, who's a realtor here at Your Castle Real Estate and been an investor for many, many years. And uh, she self-manages her portfolio. And so we spent a good hour like going through from Eric's perspective as a professional PM and Brittany's perspective as, you know, doing her own properties and coaching some of her like real estate investor clients through there. Um, and so I'd recommend everyone listen to it. It'll be out in podcast here, probably before this podcast is released, but tons of information on there. Good to know what you need to know in that marketplace. If you have a property in Denver and that's, you know, Denver city, Denver, uh, Denver County. Um, but I also think it's going to change some people's investment perspective of Denver. Uh, some current investors who live there, and it might make some other people say, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to invest in Denver because that, I see yeah. the trends here." Mm -hmm. I'm curious from anyone on here, like, you got any thoughts or ideas or feedback yet on? I didn't get a chance to listen to the webinar yet, but uh, the 
house that I just moved out of that's going to become a rental now for me is in Denver County. And it's only two years old. So I'm kind of curious to see how this inspection process goes. I'm wondering if it's going to be one of those things where, hey, they come in, they look around and oh, it's a new build, right? Everything's basically brand new in here. Cool. Move on with life or how detailed they're going to be. If there's going to be some things that, that come up on that, that like nobody would have even thought of. So from my perspective, I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. And luckily I'm working with Eric Ross over at Aerospace. So, or, uh, yeah, so I'm sure he'll be able to take care of it. Yeah. For me, um, you guys all know I'm a big proponent of having a property manager. Um, I just describe this as not my problem. Eric has to deal with it. That's why Eric gets paid the big bucks. And and you guys know I'm like president of the Eric Ross fan club. Um, he I I trust 100%. He's going to do a great job. He's going to get the properties inspected. I don't have to worry about it. Um, and that's part of the reason why I pay him every single For month. For you as an investor, does that change your sentiment towards rentals or investing in Denver at all? I get from the operations, but just from the higher level, Joe, the investor, uh, Joe, the investor thinks that there will be some people exiting the yeah. Denver market. And I think that's going to be more opportunity because I think there will be some people that don't do it. Some people that get fined, some people that have problems, some people that deal with issues and start getting letters from the County and they'll just throw their hands up and say, Oh, I just want to sell it. Particularly absentee owners, people that kept their property or right now we hear a lot about, well, I can't sell my property for the price I want. So I'm just going to rent it. All right. Which anytime you hear that, that's could be the accidental landlord. Yeah. The accidental landlord that can throw off a lot of bells, but those folks that have now moved to, I don't know, Omaha because of a job transfer and that property is now rented and it just starts to become a problem. There's going to be some of those that come available on the market, which may get picked up by retail buyers, but may also be an opportunity for investors. So I, I think it's, Great. Actually, I, I think I would actually take the other point or the other side of this in that I don't think it's going to create um, a lot of inventory or even anything that that moves the needle, uh, except for those investors that, yeah, it's a single family, but I'm renting the basement or I'm, I'm doing it as a duplex. Like in my portfolio, I don't have anything that I do funky like that, where I rent the basement to a different family or to a guy who's going to have a marijuana grow or something like that. So I think that for most people, like who keep their properties in reasonably decent shape, it's going to be relatively easy. Hey, you need to add a fire extinguisher. This window doesn't operate correctly. Now, I've been doing a lot of Section 8 over the last 10 years, and I imagine that their inspections are probably not necessarily more thorough, but from a safety, health and safety standpoint, on par or, or maybe even more difficult. So I don't see that to be an issue. Where I do see, though, is the people who are doing, uh, and I don't know how this will ultimately affect, but like if you're doing the house hack and renting the basement separately and or using your property as a duplex with a lock-off, like how will some of that work? Um, but I... I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we Before we started, we ex- exchanged stories of two very different experiences. A gentleman I spoke to yesterday who had a multi-unit with a basement unit. You know, it's uh, This is near 8th and Colorado, so it's an old part of town. Uh, and he was worried this basement unit wasn't going to pass. He thought he was going to have to sell it. Oh, I've got one furnace for both units. Like He went on and on about all the reasons he was going to have to sell this thing. Uh, a week ago, he called me yesterday. He's like, oh my gosh, this inspection was such a breeze. I'm so happy. So like, he's one of those people who you would have thought was going to get hit with this thing. Yeah. He was ready to sell the property. He's ready to move on. He got the inspection. Like his mind almost. Yep. Yeah. And the inspection I think is good for four years. So unless, you know, the same, a different inspector comes four years from now and says, oh no, actually you need a fire door here. You need two f- sources of uh, heat for the units or whatever it is, then he's going to continue to hold it. So I think that sometimes when things like this happen, you have to think mentally, like, let's say it costs you a thousand bucks or 1200 bucks to actually get compliant. 
uh, like big deal, right? Like rents right. are up, right? My goal will be, although I'm transitioning everything to management now, when I have a vacancy, I make my repairs, get the inspection at that time. So nobody's, um, uh, needs to get in with a tenant or whatever it is, and then be good for four years and move on. But I just have to imagine that systematically property managers are going to be able to handle this. Maybe they need to charge a fee for doing it. Um, but those people who are out of the loop or are unsure or, uh, cause I got a bunch of postcards from the Denver saying, Hey, if you're a landlord, you need to do this, but they probably pulled absentee owners and or, uh, entity ownership. Mm. But what if you just left it in your personal name, like Preston, mm -hmm. maybe you didn't change the the mailing address or whatever for the, for the taxes, yep. would you be notified? And if you weren't like, at what point is there going to be, you missed the deadline? What's the grace? If there is a grace period, like, what does that look like? That could cause somebody some challenges. It's such a new program. I have to imagine there's going to be a lot of moving pieces for sure. Oh, no, it I couldn't imagine it's going to be super smooth. <laughs> no, it, it's very fluid. They were, uh, Eric and Brittany were saying just how, um, I mean, like in, in real time, they're basically updating the manual and, and like rules mm -hmm. and compliance. Um, so it's very, very fluid. Um, big takeaways from them is like, get started at sooner rather than later because mm -hmm. there's a backlog and hey, since the rules are changing, just get, get, it, it, done. get it over with. Yeah. Uh, so they went through a bunch of tips on that webinar, which will be a podcast as well. The other thing, it was interesting as we talked about, had a lot of questions around do house hackers, you know, someone living in the property um, and not doing a short-term rental, but, you know, a room-by-room -room type long-term rental situation, do they have to be inspected? And it was either Brittany or Eric said, hey, the way the language is written on there is if you have income that offsets the mortgage, you must apply for it. So it makes it sound like house hackers have to uh, comply with it. Hmm. But it also makes it sound like if you don't have a mortgage. What if you pay cash? Yeah. But that was very interesting. So there's a lot of like nuances like that. And just like, it was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But actually, so if it's all, if it's paid off, there's no mortgage. Therefore, which I don't think is the intent of it. Uh, that's such and a weird way to write it. Right? What if yeah. I was running a woodworking shop out of my garage to help me yeah. create income that offset my mortgage? Now I need a rental inspection. Like yeah. clearly there's, there's some nuance. So I wonder, I actually wonder, and I'm curious to your opinions, because by the end of this year, if it's multifamily, duplex or higher, it needs to be inspected uh, and and licensed. Next year includes the single families. You think it's better to jump in like January 1 while they're still working all this out and maybe you skirt by, or do you wait till July and maybe some of the systems are a tad smoother and you're not getting popped for spelling your own name wrong or something? Um, their, I, their sentiment was do it sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, especially if, if, you know, if the rules get more strict and more sure, formalized, sure. it might be easier now or it might be a little more like, oh yeah, hey, Something, you know, we didn't have then yeah. uh, could, you know, pass at the current time being. Yeah, just, just the there's a backlog. Sheer number of inspectors being able to meet the demand could, could yeah. be challenging. And they're all private inspectors. Right. So it's, yeah, it's uh, all third party, right? Yeah, yeah. Third party private inspectors that do some type of like, they get some type of cert from Denver County, and but they they're, they're out licensed form, outside right? inspectors. Yeah. Um, cool. So check out that. Um, and then, Travis, you were talking about. A couple things. I think you you talk about Arvada tap fees, and you have a lot of land somewhere. You had a few things you mentioned before. Yeah. So it's uh, as inventory continues to be the hot topic. Uh, there's two things that drive real estate, right? Inventory and interest rates, right? Those are the two things that over the last year or six months, everybody's talking about. Maybe the last six months to a year was inventory. There's no inventory driving prices up, and now we're talking interest rates. Um, th yeah. So this yeah. ma maybe speaks specifically to the inventory piece. This is just interesting to me because as inventory grows of existing homes and new builds that are already underway, like Preston just closed on one, and there's probably some other inventory out there, as we get through that, how do we continue to bring new inventory? And the reason I, I bring that up is because I bought a lot in Southwest Denver uh, in May, 
and we thought we'd have permits by November when I bought the lot. Um, we're now targeting June of next year. So it's going to be almost a 14-month process for permits on a four-unit. I mean, this is a very basic four-unit building. Zoning was Pretty already there. cutter deal. The like, whole yeah. bit. Yeah, no crazy zoning changes or setbacks or anything like that. And there was a time in Denver, one through four units, you should get a permit in 120 days. So they are so backed up that we're, we're looking for 14 months. How will anybody bring inventory into Denver that's not already in the planning now before 2024? I talked to an investor yesterday that does hundreds of doors a year in Denver. And just for a duplex in Denver without rezoning, he was 16 months to get permits. So, And then from there, it's another eight to 14 months to build build. it right depending on what you got going on and so like some of this stuff is not going to be delivered for a long time and anybody entering the process now is going to be even further out unless they do bring on more people or go third party or whatever and tighten up those timelines but it's just like going to be impossible also arvada just this past week through city council passed a tap fee increase and this is kind of bizarre how they did this, but the rough numbers are that the tap fees are basically going to double. The specific investor I spoke to, uh, he was looking at building a six unit. He's he's owned it for probably close to a year, uh, and he's been going through their process. And in Arvada, their process isn't as smooth as Denver, just because they haven't seen as much development over the years, right? So uh, smaller office, you know, smaller staff, a uh, little bit more. Wild West in some ways, right? Uh, interpretation comes up a lot versus hard and fast. And so he's been working on it for that long and he's just barely getting ready to submit for um, STP, I think, site development plan. And he would fall into this. So his tap fees, he had underwritten at 125,000 for six units. His tap fees would go up to 250,000 on a six unit mm. deal. So, and there's other sizable projects that are in planning or whatever. Um, and the, their cutoff, this is what was interesting to me. So we're uh, October, right? The cutoff was if your foundation isn't inspected by the end of the, this calendar year, 2022, then you would be subject to these increased tap fees. Well, if your foundation needed to be inspected, you had to already have to have building permits like right now. So it's basically anybody who doesn't have building permits right now in any stage of planning, whether that was just bought in or preliminary or right up into get uh, approvals and you're trying to dig a, a hole in November. Yeah, right? Colorado. Go yeah. <laughs> so like... It's just like it hammered so many people by doubling this this cost. So then you ask yourself, well, who's going to build in Arvada, right? Like it's probably going to make a lot of uh, deals that were marginal to get scrapped. Ultimately, the end user pays for this, right? Because you have to increase the cost in order to deliver it. And uh, just you're seeing more and more of this. And Preston mentioned maybe Wheat Ridge goes this direction. Mm-hmm. And so... It's like, it's just, I don't know if it's like total nimbyism, like nobody wants development, even though they probably live in a development, or if it's uh, a true need for water infrastructure or whatever it might be. But uh, it's just going to become more and more difficult to deliver units. So from a home building or new side of the business, I just don't see that many more units being added. And so the existing inventory may or may not increase and we'll see what interest rates do. What pops in my mind there with Arvada, it's almost like it's going to be very interesting now uh, because you know what? Last year or two years ago, they made it short-term rentals legal there. Yep. And I mean, a lot of investors have been yeah. going to Arvada mm-hmm. for good reasons. Yep. Um, and then they're going to take off supply. I mean, they're increasing investor buying in yep. there through short-term rentals and taking off development. That's, I mean, that's really moving the needle. Yeah. And so what's always that's always good for the people who already own, right? Yep. So if you go to the council meeting and you're like, yeah, I enjoy this open field here that's privately owned uh, and somebody has property rights for what they can do on it, but I'm going to vote against or do anything I can to keep somebody from developing that so I can continue to enjoy it, even though it's not mine. My property value continues to come up, but it makes it impossible for people to live there, right? And so 
you have these municipalities talk about uh, being able to deliver more attainable pricing or whatever, it's low income or whatever it is, but then you do nothing to actually help developers build that product because they're just big greedy developers. It just blows my mind. Well, and Mm -hmm. with the giant lag period it takes to, you know, develop a project and Mm -hmm. deliver it, now all of a sudden with rising interest rates and maybe a little bit of slowdown in demand, and knowing that all these added fees are coming in and, you know, cost to build are going up, our builders going to start looking at it and being like, man, this doesn't really make sense anymore. Yep. Like it's, it's not, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze right now. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of talk around that as well. For sure. Jenny, random question for you. You got any uh, interesting rule changes, city council votes um, down south? Not that I'm aware of, so <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> yes. Or maybe ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. Uh, what's going on. Have there been any updates or changes or talk of anything related to the short-term rental, you know, stuff in the Colorado Springs or Pueblo area? No, I mean the 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 recent one from a few years ago, uh, I was pretty restrictive. So yeah. I think uh I think they kind of made their point on that. Um, you know, so I think people are just yeah, adhering to it because from what I hear is they're they're pretty strict on that. So um yeah, nothing nothing new to my knowledge on that. Yeah, I was just curious knowing how strict it was, if they gotten any pushback or or if anything had changed over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's still pretty strict. Yeah. So. All right, so I'm looking at my notes here. I forgot to mention this back at the stats portion because uh, I know we, you know we cover some high-level stats. If people want all the details, we put them in the blog post. Um, and also, since we just closed out quarter three, uh, your castle has published their trends package for income properties, Denver properties, Springs properties, and a bunch of other categories and markets as well. Mm-hmm. And that's like a 30 page, 40 page slide deck. So if you really want the stats, uh, come to the blog post or download those trends packets. Those will give you all the Tons data and stats you want. Mm-hmm. We don't cover those in podcasts. So we don't put you to sleep. Uh, but it's just very, very uh, great stats and very hyper-specific to our market. Uh, and I forgot to actually mention this beginning of the show. Uh, right around uh, November 15th, we are launching our next portfolio analysis mastermind. We did the first one in quarter one of this year. Got lots of great feedback. Got a lot of investors with their strategies and action plans. And we're going to do another one uh, for three main reasons. One is we've incorporated a ton of updates into Property Llama, the software that needed to be in there. That'll be rolled out by November 15th. Uh, we've gotten a lot better at also being able to deliver advisory and helping people coach through their product or their, uh, portfolio. their portfolio. And then third, the damn market has changed. So it's a really good time to sit down and reevaluate your goals and the market. Because even though rates are up, lots of opportunity. And I think the biggest opportunity is for a lot of investors who've owned properties for a while. They're sitting on some, you know, good equity, and they're at a 40, 50% LTV across their portfolio. There's a lot of opportunity in those uh, portfolios. And so it's getting people to realize, hey, what do I need to do to make my portfolio keep working towards my goals? So more details for that, but I went up on the radar and we're gonna do it for free. So the more, the merrier. And then those are my last two things I wanted to cover. Anyone else? I have just one other thought kind of along that. This is the time of year where you want to start thinking about your plan and your strategy for next year, right? And I saw the book behind you, the Guide to Colorado Real Estate Investing Strategies. This is the time of year that I start thinking about what am I going to write in my chapter? And I know that that doesn't, you know, we don't really need to do that until like January or February, but this is the time of year to start thinking about it. What am I 
reviewing this year? What did I do this year? What's my plan for next year? So I'd encourage everybody start thinking about that. You know, and again, I know I'm like kind of ahead of the eight ball here, ahead of the curve, but start thinking about it because this is the time to make those plans because the spring selling season is going to be here before you know it. So just start thinking through that, start putting your notes down because that's going to be something we'll have a call to action in, I don't know, probably two or three more podcasts. Uh, probably sooner than that. Now you got me updates. thinking about it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be time to do that. And, and that's one of the things that I really enjoy. I think this is going to be our fourth or fifth year doing fifth. this. Fifth year. Yeah. Um, and I get a lot of value out of writing that down and then a ton of value out of reading everybody else's strategies. So start thinking about that for yourself. Thank you for the plug well, I saw and reminder. Yeah. Well, that's because <laughs> Jules, we got to start promotion on that soon. <laughs> and then uh, maybe just as a, another takeaway that is kind of in line with both of those comments. And you'd mentioned uh, Preston previously about the HELOC. Um, just a really interesting time as we sit here right now on the HELOC space. Um, and as you talk about what you might do with your portfolio, whether you're going to grab something in second position because you have a really great underlying loan or maybe you sell it or the property, whatever it is. But HELOCs are available and pretty fairly priced right now. Joe has some really interesting stuff that is not bank uh, driven uh, that can be both, I guess, expensive and uh, relatively and maybe not. But also there's some bank stuff out there right now, 80 to 90% of the value of the property. I'm seeing rates like eight to 9% uh, for, for, for a primary. For investor, I think you're going to get capped at 70%. Um, but you might be on like the uh, owner-occupied stuff, um, partner credit union, some others, like you could get a no-cost close within like two to three weeks. And uh, if you are going to go on an investment property, Joe has some stuff that gets a really high leverage that the rates are higher. But if you have a true opportunity to buy something in the next, uh, you know, these next bit, six weeks, eight weeks, a couple of months, there could be just a great opportunity. And I think that shouldn't be ignored because the best time to get a loan is when you don't need one. Yep. And so <laughs> if you're sitting there thinking, well, I've got some equity over here, I might do I might do something next year. I don't know what's going to happen. Just go get that HELOC. You're not paying on it unless you use it. Even if you have to pay some fees to get to it, it's just such a great insurance policy to have to be able to move quickly on a deal. So along with the property llama piece and how you might position your portfolio, and potentially a little bit of a buy-in season ahead here. Uh, good opportunity to, to have access to some additional money. I agree. So I agree with that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Cool. Well, awesome. Uh, panel, this was a great and fun podcast as usual. So thank you. I, I know everyone's busy, so I appreciate you coming out. And listeners, viewers out there, if you need any resources, stats, helps, reach out to any of us. Uh, you know, we're all investors here. We all are plugged in the game. We're happy to talk strategy, uh, help you find a property, look at your portfolio, whatever it is. Please reach out to us. We are here to help you out. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you next month. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Chris.